0: Good morning, Grumlaw Church. We are so glad that all of you decided to join us here today. And we really do mean that, especially if it is your first time with us here today. We never, ever take that for granted. Uh, but i also like to challenge you, in fact, kind of just invite you to come back at least for the next three weeks. Now, now the reason that I say that is every single week is unique. Every single week is different, and we think it'll take at least maybe a couple of weeks for you to really get an accurate feel uh, for what we're all about. And frankly, I'm kind of irrationally confident that if you actually come back for three straight weeks, uh, you'll want to keep coming back. This will be something that you actually look forward to being a part of every single week. And one of the greatest promises that God himself offers us is that as we move closer to him, he will always move closer to us. So keep coming back. Keep exploring, keep asking questions, keep moving closer to your creator. Additionally, if you aren't new around here, you have some impeccable timing as today we are studying a brand new series titled Threeology, where for the next five weeks, we're going to be unpacking the doctrine of salvation, justification, sanctification, and glorification. And the crowd goes wild. Yeah, that's probably about the level of enthusiasm I anticipated. Now... If you've been a part of a Grumlaw for a while, uh, you've likely already noticed what it is I'm about to share. In fact, it might actually be this very detail that that led you to Grumlaw in the first place and caused you to keep coming back, a a sort of subtle nod of approval that led you to think, well, that wasn't wasn't horrible. I guess that I can make a return visit. A, A lot of the teaching on Sunday mornings, it centers around what we would refer to as felt needs meaning we listen to what is being talked about among the people who call Grumlaw home, what's keeping people up at night, what are the pain points, what gets people excited, and, and we try to tailor teaching to those felt needs. It's why around election time, we'll maybe do a series on what Jesus has to say about politics. It's why when the pandemic hit, we pivoted and we did a series called Didn't See It Coming, and we talked about the Holy Spirit's leading in times of chaos. It's why this last fall we did a series called Thriving in Babylon and talked about how the follower of Jesus not only survives, but actually thrives in the middle of a culture that is shifting underneath our feet. You get the idea. As it would turn out, the scriptures, uh, Jesus himself has something to say on just about every single facet of life, so why not teach practically on what you are feeling rather than just topics and picking those at random? And what's really, really beautiful, and mind you, this isn't an accident, very much the Holy Spirit hooking it up, is when we're sensing the need to teach on a particular topic or on a particular series, even more of you end up coming out of the woodwork after the fact and remarking things like, oh my gosh, we were just talking about this with our friends, we were just talking about this with our family, we were just talking about this with our neighbors. I cannot believe that this is what is being taught on this week at church. I can That's the Holy Spirit perfectly orchestrating and leading in this way. But but we also intentionally, and mind you, this normally occurs in the summer months when we see less visitors and more of the core of Grumlaw is represented on Sunday mornings. We set aside significant time in the teaching calendar to teach on some basics within the Christian faith to topics that admittedly you probably didn't wake up and think, "Boy oh boy, I sure hope today we're going to spend some time talking about the doctrine of salvation." Me and my neighbor were just talking about this. But but nonetheless, content that is really important, both for the person who would already ad- identify as a follower of Jesus as well as for the individual that's just beginning to explore. Now, now let me make my case for why this particular series is of such great importance and perhaps tickle your buy and bone a little bit if you were a little bit disappointed, a little bit eh, when I initially shared what we're gonna be talking about today in the coming weeks. That the Christian faith, and this is important, the Christian faith hinges on an event. Now, to some of you, that, that might feel incredibly obvious, but, but but my experience has shown me that while most Christians don't resist this fact, we, we often behave as if we don't totally believe it. See, instead, most Christians behave as if the Christian faith hinges on a book, specifically this book that we call the Bible. And while the Bible is obviously important, it's the unchanging word of God. It's not a version of truth. It is quite literally the truth. The Bible contains for us the general will of God for each of our lives. It reveals to us through the person of Jesus, not only what God is like, but who he is. The the Bible is, more than anything, a love story. It it tells the story of a loving father desperately trying to win back the attention and affection of his kids, his most prized creation, you and and I. So so to be clear, I love the Bible. And I am so incredibly thankful that we have this gift that is the Bible, that that has been passed down from generation to generation and preserved for us. I I am very much proud pro-Bible. But the Christian faith does not hinge on whether or not this book exists. In fact, consider the fact that for the first couple hundred years post Jesus being on this earth, Christianity not only survived, but but thrived. And, And there was no Bible. It hadn't been compiled yet. The Old Testament, which actually is the Jewish scriptures, they were quite literally chained to the temple so only the religious elite could access them. And the New Testament, that second half, it was in the process of being written, but yet Christianity flourished. Despite massive persecution, no Bible. How is that so? How is that possible? It's because the Christian faith hinges on an event and more specifically, the resurrection of Jesus. See, when Jesus was nailed to that cross on Calvary and then put it into the tomb, the Christian movement could not have been more dead. Everybody, including Jesus' closest friends and followers, they hung their heads in sadness and embarrassment and hopelessness as the individual whom they hoped was the Messiah was put to death. But, but the Messiah can't die, so Christianity was done. It was game over. They had hoped. I mean, there was no denying Jesus' teaching ability. I mean, they saw the miracles with their own eyes. I mean, they saw his gentleness, his love, but now he was dead. So, so sorry, so sad, coulda, woulda, shoulda. But three days later, exactly as Jesus kept on predicting over and over and over again, he triumphantly rises from the grave. And with the resurrection of Jesus, there was a resurrection of faith. Now the very people whom had headed for the hills and abandoned Jesus altogether, they were now on the front lines telling everyone who would listen, you killed them, God raised them, we've seen them, say you're sorry. And they weren't appealing to a text. They weren't appealing to the Bible. They were appealing to an event. A man we saw with our own eyes was brutally tortured and put to death on a cross. Then three days later, we were having breakfast with him on a beach, and he predicted all of it. And as I will often say around here, if a guy successfully predicts his own death and resurrection, I'm just going to go with whatever else that dude has to say. So here's why this is so important, and how this connects back to this series as a whole. Nobody watching right now should believe for the sake of belief. The the, the Christian faith is so much more secure, so much more defendable, so much more credible than just believe, brother. Just believe, sister. Don't believe for the sake of belief. Have belief just like those first century Christians had belief. They believed because of what they saw. They believe because of the credible eyewitness accounts. They believe because of an event. Because a whole lot of evidence and proof points to the fact that Jesus actually rose from the dead exactly as he predicted. And if he pulled that off, suddenly everything else he he said and showed us during his time on earth has a lot more credibility, becomes a lot more plausible. Perhaps... This truly is God in the flesh, but perhaps he's worthy of giving our lives to. And the same Jesus who rose from the grave made it painstakingly clear that the way that you and I, human beings, get that right standing back with God, it it simply comes by placing our trust, our faith, our belief, synonymous terms in Jesus, which I will grant you, it sounds a A bit like a ludicrous proposition. That is until we remember, of course, that Jesus rose from the grave. That is where our faith hinges. It all goes back to the resurrection. And as I will continue to remind us of throughout this series, if that is true, suddenly everything else that Jesus taught and showed us becomes a lot more believable including how we go about receiving our salvation, saving ourselves from that nagging sin problem that we cannot solve on our own. So for you backseat drivers watching right now, a group I am definitely a card-carrying member of, here's where we're going for the next few weeks. Today, I'm gonna wrap up our time together by specifically speaking about justification, that the means by which we receive salvation or are declared righteous or justified in the eyes of God. By the way, y'all are going to be so impressive to your neighbors and friends uh, with your big, grandiose theological words, justification, sanctification, glorification. You're going to have your friends and your neighbors sitting at your feet at the next neighborhood barbecue. This justification, as already alluded to, it occurs through faith in Jesus and faith in Jesus alone. We're going to unpack that quite a bit more here in just a moment pun intended, just a moment, and and even give those of you who have yet to accept that invitation an opportunity to do so. Then we're going to actually spend two weeks talking about sanctification, the process by which the follower of Jesus is becoming more like Christ. To, To sanctify something is to set it apart for special use. To sanctify a person is to make him or her holy. As we're going to talk about, this is an ongoing process, and not to belabor the point right off the bat, but if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, this, sanctification, shouldn't really matter to any of us. But if the God of the universe really did get off of his throne, dwell amongst us, and then offer his life in exchange for ours, that then rise from the grave so that we might have the opportunity to experience new life, true life, life to the fullest, well, that's a guy that I think maybe we would all agree we should try to please and become more like. And then we're going to wrap up this series by talking about glorification. God's final removal of sin from those who have been justified in the eternal state. Instead of being mortals burdened with sin nature, we will be changed into holy immortals with direct and unhindered access to God's presence, enjoying holy communion with him throughout eternity. Now, now, the question I'm about to ask, this might be a reflection of my insecurity, but are, are any of you maybe more interested in this series than you were like 15 minutes ago? Maybe a couple of hands are going up. Awesome progress has been made. Now, with the whopping like 12 minutes uh, that I've left with myself, well, let's hop back to justification. Again, the means by which we receive salvation or are declared righteous or are justified in the eyes of God. Now, now when we think of being justified or, or made right in the eyes of God, there's a not-so-subtle dilemma that is assumed. That there's something in you, in me, that needs to be corrected. Or or to put it more plainly, there's something wrong with you. Which I certainly recognize, all of us, both the Christian as well as the non-Christian alike, we all resist that at at some level, at least initially. See, I've never met anyone who wholesale embraces from day one of exploring Christianity that they seem to do things all the time that not not only are not what's best for the people around them, but not even best for, for them. We all at some level, we have a proclivity to believe that at our core, we're actually good people. Now, now I'll admit, and and I'm just going to kind of be like brutally honest and transparent right now. I'm sort of floored by the fact that I regularly meet adults, people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, that that are still clinging to this notion. This idea that, yeah, I guess I kind of make mistakes every once in a while, but deep down, I'm I'm a good person. I'm sorry. That just blows my mind that adult men and women could have such a lack of self-awareness. I mean, this isn't even exclusively Christian thought. This is just life. This is just reality. This notion that we're all actually good. I mean, how do we account then? Let's just speak to you parents for a second. How do we account for the fact that we so easily lose our temper on our children Am I to assume that I'm in the minority as I consistently try to find patience for my kids? Does this just come natural to, to the rest of you? Or, or how about a male's propensity in particular to lust after the opposite sex? To, to allow their gaze to rest for too long? To, to, to look at pornography? Or how about the American's insatiable appetite for more, even when we know it's causing us harm? Or maybe our lack of self-control, that the very rules and declarations that exit our mouth on a Monday are violated by Tuesday. What are we supposed to make of all of that? Come on, if you're being totally honest, you know that if there's a God out there, you fall short. That you couldn't possibly measure up. And though I'll grant you, I mean, that's hard to admit. I mean, that's a difficult pill to swallow. It, It is impossible to deny. It's precisely why Paul, in his early letter to the Christian church in Rome, he frames this so clearly. He says, for everyone has sinned, as in everyone. We all, as in all of us, fall short of God's glorious standard. Difficult to embrace, but impossible to deny. Now, we, we might resist, again, a word like sin, so that's fine, insert mistake if it helps you sleep better, but, but we all do things on a regular basis that hurt ourselves and the people around us. And, and the Christian faith tradition would refer to that as sin. So the problem is, well, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. Aren't you glad you tuned in to Grumlauch Church this morning? Now, now plenty of people recognize this problem, and that they've chosen basically to do nothing about it. It isn't as much an issue with denial or rejection as it is apathy. It's like this attitude of, sure, I'm a sinner, but <laughs> what do I care? And if you can live like that, more power to you. But most of us, and I'm guessing if you're tuning in right now, you probably fall into this category, most of us eventually get to a point where we are confronted with our sin. Namely, the damage that it is doing to ourselves as well as the people around us. And, and this leads people down a lot of different paths, not exclusively religion, counseling, meditation, group therapy, and of course, many, again, people turn to religion. But perhaps it's just that that actually drove you to come and check things out this morning. And, and what's sort of interesting is every major faith tradition begins with this exact same problem, that, that mankind cannot get out of their own way that we all have this nagging sin problem. And at different levels and in different ways, there's maybe supposedly a God out there who wants to see this problem rectified. But exactly one faith tradition, and I'm sort of getting ahead of myself by prematurely pointing you to the solution, exactly one faith tradition alleges that God himself chose to get involved. That This, of course, being Christianity. See, God within the Christian faith tradition he doesn't just choose to get involved from afar. He personally throws himself into the mess of a world that, that we had created for ourselves. And then he offers himself as the once and for all solution to the sin problem that we could not, cannot solve on our own. So, so as an aside, the, the notion, and we hear this a lot, that all religions are basically the same, that, that, that is lazy and misinformed. That This is a significant difference and, frankly, a complete departure from every other faith tradition, that this is unique to Jesus. So, so the problem, you and I are sinners. Meaning, again, we do things on a regular basis that cause damage to us as well as the people around us, notably the people that we really do love the most. And, and because every single one of us have this thing branded into ourselves by our Creator, what we'd often refer to as a conscience we usually seek to fix this problem. Usually we start off with our own methods and self-determination only to figure out that, that the task would appear to be impossible. Again, I'll remind you, this isn't necessarily a Christian thought. This is just reality. Your own life has demonstrated this to you. And then another layer, and this is even more significant, I might add, and I might feel like I'm piling it on here, but hope is on the way. Another layer to this problem beyond causing damage to ourselves and other people beyond our inability to to fix the problem, is the damage that it causes to our union, to our relationship with God himself. See, God is so holy, he is so set apart, he is so perfect that he cannot be anywhere near sin. It's quite literally the antithesis of God. That's why the prophet Isaiah wrote thousands and thousands of years ago, it's your sins, your sins, that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, He has turned away, and he will not listen anymore. Separated from God. Separated from your creator. To to put it more plainly, we're screwed. So, this is all rather depressing, and I'm guessing that if you're giving church a chance today, you're hoping that there's a solution to all of this, and indeed there is. The the solution is, of course, Jesus. Jesus. More specifically, as already alluded to, Jesus offered himself as the once and for all solution to the nagging sin problem that we cannot solve ourselves. Paul writes to us Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's the problem. Yet God's solution in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins, not his. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin, the once and for all sacrifice for your sin, my sin. The God of the universe got off of his throne, dwelt amongst us, and thus endured all that is the human experience, freely offered his life for your sin, then rose from the grave, thus defeating sin and death, creating a pathway back to God, an avenue for righteousness and restoration with God and in turn with our fellow man. And this is really important to note. Nothing we did compelled God to do this. There wasn't a moment where God looked down and thought to himself, you know what, that Shea guy, I mean, he is just, that is one impressive son of a gun. Maybe, I don't know, I mean, he's just been doing so many incredible things lately, maybe I ought to offer my life for him. No. He did this because he is love. It is his character. It is who he is. He did this because he so longs to be close to you, to have a relationship with you. And and God has never looked down at his children. You and I, as as we wallow around in this mess that we've created for ourselves with with glee or, or our righteous, I told him so, or even indifference, no, it breaks his heart. Just like a loving dad who can't stand to watch his beloved child undone by his own bad decisions, that is how your heavenly father looks at you. And because he loves you so much, because he so longs for you to be restored, because he so desperately wants to be close to you and in turn see you experience true love, true joy, true Peace, true contentment. Because he is that for you, he willingly offered himself as the once and for all sacrifice for your sin problem. And now we arrive at what's the final part of this message, and in fact, right back to where we started. We have a problem, we have a solution, but there's also a response. A response that's needed from you believe in Jesus but place your belief place your trust place your faith in Jesus and his redemptive work on the cross in return be made right or be justified before God but for everyone's sinned we all fall short of God's glorious standard the problem Yet God, pointing to the solution in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. But now our response, people, including you, are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and didn't punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right, you and I, in his sight when they believe in Jesus. The God of the universe made the standard by which we get that right standing back with him almost incomprehensibly simple. It comes down to belief. But belief and belief alone, not belief plus good works, not belief plus all these religious steps, just belief in Jesus. And for some of you who are watching right now, you've maybe heard this before, For others of you maybe this is kind of the first way it's been so plainly presented to you and and it could be as simple as you right now bowing your head where wherever you're watching from and just declaring heavenly father i know that i'm a sinner I, i know that i can't solve that sin problem on my own but 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 i believe that you sent your one and your only son you did that because you were loved because you love me that much because that is who you are I believe that, that Jesus took the weight of my sin the world's sin on his shoulders and with it the wrath of God but I also believe that three days later he conquered the grave he defeated sin and death and with it now gives me the opportunity to be made right with you So today, God, I declare, I choose to believe in your son. I choose to believe in his redemptive work on the cross. I choose to be justified. It is in your name, the powerful saving name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. And we're told that just like that, we're back just like that we are declared righteous if you made that decision this morning i have a quick favor to ask of you but will you please right now take out your phone and text faith decision to 94000 and then follow those prompts and, and here's why this is so important another unique trait to, to christianity is that this is not a journey that was ever meant to be walked alone the essence of 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 christianity is the local church and church actually comes from a Greek word, ekklesia, which means community, gathering. It's a people. But we're supposed to walk alongside other people who are also pursuing Jesus. Left to yourself, alone, eventually you're going to wander. You're going to be undone by your own decisions again. But in community with other people who, who are also moving towards him, that is where we experience life and life to the fullest. So right now, again, please pull out your phone, text Faith Decision to 94,000, follow those prompts. And all that will trigger is one of our staff members to get in touch with you and help you decipher and figure out what it is that next step might be for you within the local church. But again, it's, it's that simple. But by believing in Jesus, we're restored, we're declared righteous. But, but as we're going to discover in the coming weeks, this, this isn't where the story ends. So, so I invite you to keep coming back as we move beyond justification and we talk about our time on earth where, where we have the privilege of becoming more and more like Christ by most notably the indwelling power and in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and we look forward to the day when we'll have unhindered access to God's presence and join communion with our most holy God for all of eternity. Amen. Amen.